When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp, cricket fan, and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things, while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. We're, this is weird because we, we, I don't think we've ever done this. We, we, I mean, basically, to be brutally honest, we should have been done this podcast yesterday, but Josh was busy, um, as he always is these days, with ex-footballers. Um, uh, one of whom, one of his, one of his mates, Micah, was on um, Sky Tonight as the pundit on the match we've just all watched, endured, perhaps is the word, Arsenal's glorious 4-1 home defeat to Manchester City in the Carabao Cup um, and discuss that. What's weird is we never we never usually do podcasts straight after matches. We leave that to other rival Arsenal podcasts, <laughs> which there are currently 35,000. Um, I am Boyd Hilton. Josh is with me. Hi, Josh. Hey, Boyd. Good to, uh, good to be here. There is something nice about doing a podcast straight after the game. I mean, one of our guests, yeah. Tim Payton, just asked if it was going to be a group therapy session. <laughs> And I think that's quite apt. Maybe we can yeah. all bring a bit of uh, hope to oh each God. other. I'm just this reminded the... me, Boyd, of when yeah. you did a podcast. I think the last time a podcast was done in this manner, straight after a game, was when you were in a car on the way back from Old Trafford. Oh, yeah. uh, and that felt more joyous. I think we just got a point. Um, and yeah. there was a bit more. And you had a lot of red wine. So between the two, yeah. it went well. Yeah, that was very different. Yeah, I haven't had any um, alcohol tonight because um, I'm on painkillers for my my broken arm, so yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit sad. Tim, as as Josh said, Tim Payne is here. Hi, Tim. Good evening. Um, uh, who has been tweeting tonight? Um, observed that um, we should be going for a new goalkeeper in the in the um, transfer window when it opens in January. Um, I think many people will be joining you in that um, in that position, and um, we'll discuss that issue among many others. I was just watching the they're showing. I've got my um, they're showing obviously the highlights, lowlights of the of the game, and they just showed the the um, the uh, the. We should have had this, there should have been a sending off for Man City absolutely in that first off, and their goal should be, should have been disallowed. So we have been slightly unlucky this tonight. But our other joyous guest is um, Adam Bernstein. Hi, Adam. Hi, Boyd. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Adam's Adam's only tweet of the night, as far as I can tell about the game, is that Pep is bald, which is as as fans of Adam's t- Twitter feed will know, is a recurring theme of Adam's comments on baldness. I don't take it personally, Adam. I'm fine with it, but um, 
Yeah, I think we, I think what we're seeing tonight is that having a head of hair, having a very full head of hair, as Mikel Arteta does, is no necessary indication of intelligence or quality. And you, Adam, my first question to you, actually, I thought we'd start with this general point, um, is you were one of Unai Emery's um, biggest critics that I'm aware of on uh, on, the, on this podcast and on social. You fucking hated him. You called him Bruce Rioja. You're one of the many people who used that. Now do you feel that actually he's comes across as almost like the greatest manager ever lived compared to Mikel Arteta? Is that unfair? No, I think that's unfair. I mean, I think they've both, they've both clearly been bad appointments. But and I think this kind of speaks to the point of why I mean, so, so firstly, I think I made a mistake in thinking Arteta would have been a good choice. And I think ultimately, like, there's a reason that most, you know, businesses which are, you know, worth hundreds of millions of pounds don't appoint someone who's a novice straight to the top. So I'm like, happy to hold my hands up on that. But I think it also speaks to the point of why I was much more kind of open to Arteta originally on the basis of this is a gamble. But, you know, if it goes right, great. If it doesn't, you're not already having, you know, two years down the line. And that was much of the issue with post-Emery, you'd already gone through 18 months of becoming significantly worse, significantly worse players, um, poor tactics, etc. But yeah, I mean, I'm quite happy to say that Emery, um, it was right to sack Emery, and I I'm also quite happy to put myself on the record early and say that I think Arteta should go 100%. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I don't want to. That, that's that's. Yeah, I, I I broadly agree with that. Um, uh, and I'm the same. I mean, I you know, I got I got this this, this appointment this time when we first when we appointed Unai Emery and Arteta was clearly like his his, his one, the other option that they were interested in. I felt that was that would have been a mistake at the time, and then I completely changed my mind and felt that Arteta was a good appointment. Now I've got now I'm in the middle of a massive reverse ferret on that one. Tim, um, what seems to be the most the two things seem I think are most concerning after that game tonight and the press conference. I'm what I'm calling the worst press conference um of recent times when Mikel Arteta spouted a series of um bewildering statistics claiming that about percentage chance of us losing the games that we've lost recently and banging on about basketball and oh it was just a whole mess of of ludicrous nonsense of which you and I Emery would have been proud actually it would have been communicated possibly even even more lucidly suddenly Arteta's gone all weird and tonight his decision making at the moment I feel is really worrying. Like, why did he? Why pick Leno for a start? I mean, the bigger question is why did we fucking sign one of the worst goalkeepers in the world? But but he played Leno in the last um, in the last uh, game in this competition, didn't he? Um, why I don't know why he felt. You know, I don't know why he felt um, he needed the rest. B, you know, um, obviously Martinelli had a fantastic contribution. And then why bring him on? Why not? Why risk him in the second half? I and mean, that was just bewildering. I didn't understand that. You know, presumably he's not going to be fit enough for the Chelsea game now. I'd be amazed if he is. These decisions, like and the, and playing the old players tonight, playing you know, why bring back Mustafi, Kalasinac, these people? It's like we know what they, you know, we know how shit they are. They're not going to be rehabilitated in a game like this, are they? So all those decisions seem to me part of a pattern, a worrying pattern of him making really weird, nonsensical, non-common sense decisions. Or am I being unfair? There are so many questions there, Boyd, and so many <laughs> things going wrong. I don't know. I, I'm trying to think where to start. The problem Arteta has got into now is he's in such tailspin that it literally is about saving his job. Therefore, they stop taking risks, or at least perceived risks, which is to play two or three more 
youngsters, and he did play a youngster. He played Renathan in goal, and you're not yeah. very happy about that. You know, whichever whichever way he goes, he is in he is in real difficulty, isn't he? Just every every decision now he's cornered by because it's a free fall. But fundamentally, and this is this is a governance problem. So first of all, as was said, why do you appoint someone who's never done one minute? of doing this job before. That's a very, very big risk. Someone who wasn't good enough 26 months ago, but was good enough 12 months ago. Why? What changed? Well, apparently what changed was the corporate structure around you. But then, having brought them in with a corporate structure, that corporate structure is then got rid of. So they are suddenly a manager with not much of a team around them trying to learn how to do the job all at the same time. So it really is a mess. Perhaps, to go to one of your questions, perhaps he played Renison today so he could find out what he needed to do in the January transfer window. Because <laughs> just, just think, I'm sure, you know, people, I still find it hard to spit these words out. People ask me, oh, you're in a relegation battle. I can't, I still almost can't get my, my head around that. And I don't think they quite will be. And how can a team that has a wage bill of 235 million be in a relegation battle with, teams that have wage bills of 50 million but you know it's ever so close now but if Leno got injured for six weeks then fucking hell we would be getting relegated yeah absolutely yeah Josh you were you were going to say something in the middle of uh in the middle of that comment um, I can't quite remember. I mean, only that oh. I had to, I, I'll be honest, I looked up how old Renarsson was because I was, I was slightly, he's not that, he's not that young. 25. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, maybe tonight we did find out why there was such surprise from, you know, respected French football journalists about um, why we signed someone who he was the backup a, goalkeeper a for yeah. Dijon. Is that right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. I had <laughs> terrible statistics. Terrible apparently statistics. He was, apparently, he was recommended by the Arsenal goalkeeping coach. I mean, yeah. fair enough. But, to play for, right, just, but on your point, <laughs> yeah, on his dad, on your point about, you know, he played the youngster, well, not that young, the the, the, the novice goalkeeper, but, which I'm saying should have played other youngsters. But that's the worst p- position to test someone out, and especially when everyone's saying how terrible he is. Saliba, you know, everyone's Boy. saying why Saliba's nowhere near the first team or the squad or anything. And yet our credit, we know what Mustafa is capable of. And he told, and showed us well. that again tonight. Yeah, I mean, there, there is teams that are struggling. Absence always makes the heart grow fonder. There's, it's always the players that aren't getting picked that we don't sure. see. Now, I have no idea with Saliba because I've never seen him play. I'm sure you haven't. I'm sure most people listening now haven't. Um, there must have been a reason that amount of money was played. Perhaps we signed the wrong player. Perhaps it was for sooner who Leicester got. That was who we meant to get. Yeah, I think it's a case I, of mistaken identity. But, but, you, but you know, there is this danger that everyone's now. Oh, it must be Balogun. It must be Balogun. You know, none of the others. Whoever isn't playing becomes the Messiah. Um, yeah, but the Saliba thing is 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 a mess, isn't it? Because you yeah, can't spend thirty million on a young player. What and is then... really a mess? In fact, heads should roll is whoever screwed up not getting him on loan on October well, the 5th, where they forgot yeah, to well. sign the papers. Yeah. Now, is that is that why Harmi yeah. left, or was there other reasons, or is it somebody else? 
But, you know, they pay themselves millions of pounds, these people, and they can't even sign a bit of paper on the day. You know, they are just making mugs of us. How can you run an organisation like this? Yeah. Adam, do you think, I mean, you, you, you've you've said that you think um, Arteta should go now, presumably, you think he should go right now? I think he should have gone a few weeks ago. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. now but to 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 um not defend him but to put the other point of view some would say he's having a terrible run of luck right he's had players who got themselves sent off that changed the course of games tonight's game you know they should have had a, they had a goal that should have been disallowed should have had a player sent off if there'd been var perhaps those things would have happened um He's had injuries. He's got players who got injured. You know, or Bamiyang's injured now. All of a sudden, might be more serious than we thought. He's he's having bad luck. But do you think all of that is irrelevant when it comes to the bigger picture of his performance as the as the manager? And they're all having it's you know they yes that is it they're all having injuries. It's what you have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was yeah. a quote that went around a lot yesterday um, of is it Ken Fryer telling Mikel that it's been the most challenging year in the history of Arsenal Football Club. Well, every single football club in the country will tell you it's been the most challenging year ever. They've got no income from fans. They've had to deal with the COVID pressure, the worry of players, agents, you know, still wanting their players paid full, and a more congested fixture list. So, yeah, it's tough, but it's tough for everybody. It's it's how you handle it. But I must say, and Adam, Adam's saying Arteta would go, and look, they'll, they'll reach a point where you've got no choice because it gets so low that they can't come back. Well, actually, I'd much rather a do win. You know, that's the much bigger weakness in the structural position of Arsenal Football Club. A senior, experienced football executive that's seen it, done it, and knows how to get things done. Edu was only brought in because, you know, because he was part of the Kia and Raul Club. You know, it was to give Raul a little bit of space so that he didn't get sacked because he could point at the other guy. And, and sort of oh, everyone would clap like a seal because it was an Arsenal legend, although someone who'd never done a day's work in Europe doing that kind of work anyway. So if there were to be a change, that's that's the position where I don't think we will go anywhere until we improve. You've got to get the governance right. You've got to get the senior management right. But unfortunately, we're probably not far off the day where you've got to clear out both of them. Because I can't think of a, of a manager or a head coach or whatever you call them. When they fall below a certain level, and you talked about that press conference yesterday, and what worried me about that press conference yesterday is is people weren't feeling sorry for him anymore. They're laughing at him. Yeah. And when they start yeah. laughing at Which him... Which was very much finished. Unai Emery late, late, I mean, some quite early days for some people, but yeah. late... Well, late you know, day. Emery had the language problem. As it yeah. turns out, he was better at his job than Arteta. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Adam, do you think... Would you rather see Edu uh, Edu go? And also, isn't Edu's not picking the team or selecting the tactics, is he? So, I mean, that's uh, I think Arteta has to. Yeah, be I mean, look, I, I think Tim's right to a certain extent. There is a bit of this, which is you're trying to get somebody to push water uphill with a sieve. Um, but like ultimately, like there were some extenuating circumstances back end of last season, which is why I was like quite willing to give him a bit of room. You know, we had four red cards in however many games at the end of last season when he, after he'd come in as manager. So it was like, all right, the underlying stats in the league weren't that great, but it looked like he was trying to build something. But now, like a year in, I've got no idea what style of football he wants to play. Um, you look at like who he signed, Cedric, uh, Runison tonight. Like, it's fine saying that Runison's rubbish. 100% he is. Yeah, like, I don't think, you know, you can pin that on Arteta, that he, he's useless. But he signed Runison and he sold Emmy Martinez, who's a much better keeper than Burn Leno, who's kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League this season. 
Meanwhile, that you know, Josh actually originally asked me after after we played Everton on the weekend. Leno is completely flapped at the corner, which which they've scored from. So it's a consistent thing. I tried to dub him Manuel Alemania, uh, which doesn't quite work. <laughs> but, but I'll give it. I'll give it's it good. Chance. It's good. Um, yeah, I agree about Leno and uh, uh, Martinez. That, I, I, think that, I mean, that seemed ridiculous moment. You know that clearly he he was doing better than Leno. I, Leno's flaws are, I think are fairly evident. Yeah, and I mean, uh, I just think, it, yeah. Gone No, I was just going to say, but do you think there's any way out of it? I mean, it's a good, yeah, it's a good description about pushing water up the hill, etc. My because it, someone pointed out to, to me at the weekend, and I tweeted about this that Manchester United, right, when we beat them a mere matter of six or seven weeks ago. I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago now, but they were in fifteenth position, Man United, at that point when we beat them, and they're now what second, third, third in the league, a few points behind Liverpool, going great guns. We could. It's conceivable that we could turn this around. You know, there's time, right? I mean, it's like we're not. We're not. We haven't gone through the. We haven't gone through the next Christmas New Year batch of games. So in theory, you could turn it around. My my feeling is though, there's no actual signs of that on the pitch at all. Well, we're about points wise. We're about where Spurs were last season, aren't we? And they turned it yeah. around. Well, of course, they did do something. They sacked a manager. Yeah. Um, Pochettino, who'd, who'd, who'd got them to the fucking Champions well, League final. Well, had, had much more of a pedigree, but, you know, yeah. I mean, everyone everyone runs out of road eventually to a certain extent. You know, you need a, it's clear now you need a change of voice, uh, you know, um, um, uh, at the, from, the, from the lead manager, if you like. I still think, I still think Arsenal, you know, will be scrapping away for a Europa League place this season more than fighting the relegation spot. Just... Because the quality of the having, squad... Having, having got rid of the manager? Or, do, well, or, or do, are you assuming well, either way? Either way. Well, I think one or two things will happen, but they both lead me there. I think you'll, we'll scrape enough points through the Brighton, West Brom and Newcastle games that it will feel like a little bit of a bounce and a little bit of sort of confidence will come. And then you'll actually, if you look at it, not that far away. But if we don't, then a new manager will be brought in. And like we've seen before, we'll get a kind of three-month bounce with a little bit of energy and some of them play for contracts. I'm not saying, you know, I could be totally wrong, but I just don't. Arsenal aren't going to get relegated. I think they'll be fighting the Everton's and Wolves for a Europa League place at the end of the season. I'm I'm not one for high-level stats, but just for the record, our last 10 Premier League games, we've scored four goals, two of which were from penalties. Like, that is dire. Like, there's nothing underlying this at all to suggest it's, like, remotely good. It's like, if it gets a bit better, it's still, like, quite plausible. Well, well yes, but where there is just a, a bit of a foundation is they're not letting many in. So if you hold on to that and then just get a little bit more verve, you've got something something to build on. Yeah, I mean, we, we did this podcast, you know, a week ago, Boyd, and I think we were saying, weren't we, um, about wondering quite where we would be um, after playing Southampton and Everton. And there were some very optimistic predictions from uh, Nick and Graham on the, on thinking there were going to be a couple of victories. I think I think between you and I, we thought one or two points. I think I said two. Yeah. I can't quite remember. Yeah. Two. Uh, you know, and, and so it proved, right? We, we, we took one um, tonight. You know, especially as soon as you saw that lineup, I think we we knew what was happening tonight to the extent where I actually predicted in my Arsenal uh, WhatsApp friends group four one, and sadly didn't have a penny um, on it. Um, but we um, we are where we are. You know, Adam asked. You know, you asked, can, can this improve? And 
I'm convinced that you know you have this little natural gap in the in the Premier League, don't you? After the West Brom game, until we 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 play 12 days later against Palace and Newcastle. If by the end of that we are still without a win in this run, I, I think that that has to be the end of this road. Um, but look, all it all it takes is one one win and the confidence you know could come back we just look totally bereft of confidence and it, it doesn't matter who plays at the minute it, it just doesn't seem to be be going right I mean what was encouraging on um against you know Southampton I guess is that we we got ourselves back in in the game and took something when it when it looked like me we may very well not against Everton again it looked like this is completely going to go away from us and we, we got back into it um in the short term and you know, we had a very strong 15 minutes tonight. And then our, um, is that the worst goalkeeper? That's the worst, worst goalkeeping error I can remember in a long time from an Arsenal goalkeeper. Um, and it all just uh, totally went against us. So look, I, I think we've we've got four or five more games and and that will tell us if he's, if he's going. He's not going to get sacked, you know, for losing to Chelsea, I don't think. So we'll see what happens. Hmm. The problem, as Adam pointed out, though, it's it's the underlying like the underlying stats of our when you look at the you know in terms of goal goals chances we create and shots and all of that we're we're, we're like twentieth I think and nineteenth or twentieth in most of the stats compared to the rest of the league. It is quite we are in the position we should be, aren't we, Adam? I mean, it's not like it's well, not. You like, could argue you know, better, Boyd. I think even well, you know you, <laughs> marginally you better. Yeah. You could say we're very fortunate to, you know, to to get a you know a point away at, um, at Leeds. You know, we've had other games where we've been probably you know play, played played um, played off the part really, and uh, have managed to take some points. So, um, yeah, I don't think anyone's arguing that we've been desperately unlucky in in these games, and you know we've been missing missing penalties. You know, things haven't <coughs> gone our way. We, we you know we've we've had these uh, these red cards. We've you know had injuries that meant our defence seems to never be the same four or five players playing. Uh, but we are we are sadly where we deserve to be. And this is new territory almost for, you know, a generation or or more of, of Arsenal fans who, uh, you, you do have to go back to Tim Boyd, I mean, what, 95 for a similar-ish experience where we were towards the bottom of a, a Premier League and then, you know, came away from it with, with a bit of a time to spare in, in 94, 95. So there is a generation of Arsenal fans who, who don't know what this is to, to experience. The problem, I think, Adam, is that I, because I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm kind of agreeing with you that I, I don't see any way out with Arteta in charge. But I don't think the the like Edu, for example, what is he? His boss is he? They seem to be on a level, don't they? Like I'm sure the, the, the Tim's talked about the structure, but who decides? You know, apart from the Cronkies, you know, to get rid of him in the end. And I, I feel like the ambiguity of our of our structure. Is help helps him, doesn't it? Because it's like, well, he, they they went from making him coach to manager, and working alongside Edu, and I just feel like it's very it's good. I think we'd have to be like properly in the relegation fight. I mean, as opposed to the verge of it, which we are now, for them to actually get rid of him. I think they're so invested in him, and the structure doesn't really go. All right, it's obviously, I'm gonna I'm gonna sack him if it's say it's Edu or whoever. Do you know what I mean? I think if it, it feels like. I, don't, I just don't feel Arsenal's the, in, the, in the kind of club and certainly in the kind of club we have now, the structure we have now, that's going to go look at the results and go, right, time to go, the way the Spurs did with Pochettino, for example. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with that. And I mean, my observation the other week was that this season to me looks a lot like the last one and that it will drag on four to six matches after the manager definitely should be sacked. 
before they actually are sacked because of the fact that we don't have like a clear structure where we just make a decision based on like data, which to me is like fairly obvious that this is just completely untenable and they have to go because the, you know, the governance isn't there around this, just actually make that decision. So yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you that like fundamentally long-term to be a properly run successful business, um, you feel that has to turn around. On the other hand, in terms of this season, I, you know, I, I almost agree with Tim. Like, I mean, I think it's probably over-egging it to say look at where Man United were and they are now, because that was, what, six, seven games into the season. But at the same time, if you change manager, you get somebody in who does a good job. It's not that hard to get into Europa League places in the Premier League. Um, we're not that we're not as far into the season as we would be normally because we started late. Like, how many games have we played? 14, 15? It's not 14. kind of... Yeah, it's not, um, to me, you know, beyond the realms of possibility. You can turn it around and... You know, at least get into the top half of the table, have a good run in the Europa League in the second half of the season, start to build something for next season. Whereas right now, it's like, where are you going? Like, what is the mm. kind of philosophy you're trying to do? Like, even when it's interesting because I remember people posting clips of us scoring the same goal two or three times on top of each other, and at that point, I thought it was good coaching. It was basically like the equivalent of like when you get a child to do dot to dot, which is that it's good, but it's not like actually artwork. And there was nothing, you know, surrounding it, which was to say, here I'm building a way where the team are going to be able to attack with lots of different patterns in the medium term. And I just don't see that. And that's why, like, while Tim is right on the one hand, yeah, we might score a few more goals. There's nothing to me in the way we attack to suggest that those numbers are going to change and suddenly they're going to take risks, have loads of shots. And to Josh's point of the players that confidence, it's because in-game, if you're having a load of shots on target and testing the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper's making a load of saves. You're like, fine, we're going somewhere. You know, they might have made a lot of saves. We probably think we're going to score here. If you have six, eight shots a game, two or three of them from outside the box, a header from across, uh, 40 crosses whizzed over the box going nowhere, I just don't think that's something which gives the players confidence that it's going to go well. So, yeah, I agree with you that, like, the governance is wrong. But on the pitch, it's all wrong, too. Yeah, uh, I agree. It's weird. I, th- I, I was thinking, like, we, this question of what he's been trying to do with the team. Like, I think... If you look back when he when he first joined and we were all I mean, there is the new manager bounce. It could it could purely be, you know, our optimism, my optimism, the optimism of I would say a vast majority of Arsenal fans, um, except Alan Alka, um, as he always wants me to point out, he's been doubting him from day one, which is fair. Um it was fixing the defense, right? Fixing the shambolic nature of our team in the late Emery era. Um and and in fact that shambolic tone to the team that's been going back years and years and years, really, fundamentally. He was like, right, I'm going to fix that structure. I'm going to impose a structure, quite a rigid structure, fix the defence. And he kind of did that, right? I, I mean, to give him some credit. And I think we could see that it was we were harder to beat than we have been. We were harder to score goals against. But he completely, I feel, like in his mind, I think he's, he, he, he thought, well, I've got Aubameyang and Lacazette and Pepe and so, and this season, Willian, I mean, don't get me started on Willian. But I think in his mind, he thought, I've got these really good attacking players. They'll sort that bit out. Do you know what I mean? The attack, they'll, 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 they're, there's no way they're not going to score goals. I almost felt like it's like what Marino's doing with, with, with Tottenham, but without having, you know, Son and Harry Kane. We've got people incredibly out of form forwards. Who are who can't and without any kind of midfield, of course, is the other thing. I mean, you know, so it's like, he, he, it's almost like he need he he completely has forgotten about the the creative attacking side of the game and 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 as you say that stitching those goals together he, that he managed to do 
bit by bit. There's nothing else. And he doesn't seem to allow or encourage. I mean, I'm, who knows? But he doesn't seem to allow or encourage kind of improvisation among the forwards. There was a moment tonight that was really revealing in the game when Martinelli got hold of the ball in the opposition half and he was starting to run forward with it. And Lacazette <laughs> looked at him and told him to pass it back. I don't know if you noticed. And I thought, like, where does that come from? Because Martinelli was being incredibly positive force. And, you know, one of the few of our players in recent times who has got that total attacking sensibility. And yet, clearly Lacazette, who at that point was, you know, playing in the number 10 role, the doomed number 10 role. It was like, why is it, where does that come from? And I, and I see that a lot. I constantly see our players telling the other players to pass it back all the time, rather than try something different and, and attack with the ball. So I just think... I. I'm, I'm, I'm of the I'm getting of the opinion now that I don't see him sorting it out. How important do you think that this press conference was? The way he started spouting the nonsense about the about the statistics. Well, that um, Adam, go on, Tim, go on. I mean, that's really a, a that they all do that when they come under pressure, don't they? They all, you know, some of you know, and it was all relative, but. Wenger towards the end. I mean, really bizarre press conferences. Do you remember yeah. the? Do you remember the one with Neil Ashton? Like, why are you looking at me? Well, because yeah. it's your press conference, mate. Of course, I'm looking at you. <laughs> also, they all they all are under huge, huge pressure, and in many ways, it's it's a symptom of that. I'd still go back to this point I made, which is, I think that he actually bought himself a bit of time early on with the FA Cup win with some of that attitude and actually he bought a bit of time which meant that some things could go wrong and he could correct them but it spiraled so quickly some of it bad luck some of it bad judgment of what he's inherited that now he's actually making decisions to try and save his job he's not making the right decision for what Arsenal need over 18 months so playing party when he wasn't fit in that game was yeah. because he really felt he needed a result in that game. Couldn't almost yeah. wait for party to get fit. You know, goodness knows why Martinelli was pushed back on the pitch today. But I think as a, you know, there's a, the comfort blanket is to play your senior pro that you think is more likely to scrape you a win or keep you tight. But also now the whole club is caught in a conundrum like that. They absolutely cannot in any way envisage a world without at least Europa League football. I mean, the finances are a mess anyway. They spent yeah. what they didn't have. They used, they've got a long-arranged overdraft in the club. They also took out more debt to make debt cheaper. But they, they so in a way, they rolled the die with, with a couple of decisions, the Aubameyang contract, the William contract and party, and it hasn't worked. They've got so little left to give now. Um, some would say, well, in a way, that takes the pressure off. Because if you know you're not going to qualify for the Europa League, you've got to use the youngsters. And, and it becomes a sort of 36-month project for somebody. But Arteta will pick a team against Chelsea and a team against Brighton that, to get three points or a point and three points because probably without those, he won't have a job come 1st of January. Yeah, so I, I know it's you... no longer... I know. I'm thinking about what's right for Arsenal longer term. But I actually... My, I do my, my, I Go on, Josh. I, no, I just want to jump. I, I think Tim's almost right. Like whatever decision he seems to make at the moment, it doesn't work. On, on you know, even on tonight, you'd say you know he, he's kept some players you know with a bit more experience who have been playing in the league team, and and the one position that's ultimately cost him the game tonight is is the goalkeeper. Um, you know, wh- whatever decision he he seems to to just go with or combination of players, it's 
it's just it's just not working out. But I agree with Tim wholeheartedly. You know, Chelsea are in you know okay form. Coming to that is a that's a tough game. It, it feels oh, yeah. like you know massive red circle on Brighton and West Brom, and just I mean we would all here right now grab six points. We would take a three 0 defeat if we just knew there were two one nil words coming in. And that's well, six where we're pointers. At. We've got it. They're six pointers. Yeah, six yeah. points. But the thing, all I'd say quickly before we go to break or before we bring Adam back in is to, to Tim's point about playing. You know, I I, I think the I think it's actually more. Common sense. I think I think it would save his job if he did play more of the young players. I think if he'd have played more of the young players tonight, for example, instead of those useless old timers who we know aren't good enough, he would have got more goodwill from the fans as opposed to this four-one defeat with those players being partly responsible as always the goalkeeper. Do you see what I mean? And I think if he plays, say, Smith Rowe, even against Chelsea, instead of fucking William, who has been utterly useless, his first half against Everton was one of the worst first halves I've seen from Arsenal players in, in, in many, 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 many years. It was incredible. And yet he gets, there's no, he was played the whole game, 90 minutes. I mean, he improved in the second half. People point it out. That's like saying, you know, he did the bare minimum of the forward of his experience and ability should do in the second half. But if he did play Smith Rowe or one of those attacking players, young attacking players, instead of him, he would get more goodwill. And I think he'd get a better performance for the team as well, because He's completely out of form. Do you know what I mean? So I, th- I know what you mean about the short-termism versus the long-termism, but I don't even think the short-termism is making any sense. I think short-term it's a better bet to pick Smith-Rowe instead of William. And, and it's already shown Maitland-Niles instead of Bellerin. That's worked. That worked. Making Playing the younger player instead of the experienced player who's out of form. Do you know what I mean, Adam? Let, let's quickly get your view on that before we go to a break. Yeah. So my question is, what do we think he's done from six Europa League group games where we played against teams who are at best probably championship level? Because it's fine to say he's unlucky picking Winnison. Renison was rubbish in the Europa League group stage. Balogun, good. Smith Rowe, we know he's a big talent. And that ultimately, our two best players now, probably realistically, are two teenagers in Saka and Martinelli. And like, oh, yeah. it, is a, it is a time to just basically get behind the young players. There's a load of really good young talents. People have had eight years or whatever since it was since Mr. Wenger abandoned Project Youth. And kind of people are probably ready to get behind that again rather than watching these people who are in their late 20s who we know just don't have anything, anything to go. So yeah, I don't really think he's been unlucky because he might have picked some young players, but he hasn't picked ones where, you know, they've impressed in the previous performances. Whereas Smith Rowe, it's obvious we need number 10. Like, obviously pick him. And, you know, I just think his, his brain's completely fried. He's overthinking everything. It's a shame. Like, I don't like, you know, and I am Marie. I really enjoyed hounding him out. Whereas Mikel Arteta is a player I liked and, you know, really respected Arsenal and hope will be a good manager. But, um... As Andy Tate said, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but, you know, he's got to go, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's take a quick break and we'll talk about more about um, what's going to happen at Arsenal after this. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean... And more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at Cooler dot bike or find them on instagram with hashtag cooler king bike 
cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back from the break. Josh, uh, you're very, you're a very, you're a man with great common sense and um, loyalty. Um, I mean, your loyalty to obviously Arsene Wenger, for example, still going to this day. Um, still think you should be there, along with along with the likes of along with the likes of Jeff Arsenal. Jeff, yeah, Jeff Arsenal makes me laugh on Twitter. He's always saying things like, you know, we used to win these games week in week out. That's what he tweeted tonight. Jeff, I love you, but no, we didn't. I mean, no, 2004 we did, but not in you know, not in like the late period of Arsene Wenger's reign. We didn't. We had loads of terrible performances. Terrible. So anyway, let's not rake over that. But my point, my question to you is, how? Where are you now on the uh, on the scale of Arteta support? Are you like well, me? Losing patience very, very quickly. Yeah, I, I think it. I think we. I think we have to be losing patience. We, you know, th- this in no way can be considered, you know, acceptable. But I still, I still won't call for him to to go. Um, I, I, I don't know why we've um, arrived at um, a situation where we have a squad um, which seems so far off you know, being able to compete with the the sort of teams that we are used to competing with and, and should be. Um, and I look at the players, I just see so many underperforming. And as Adam just pointed out, you know, you ask anyone, any football fan, who is Arsenal's player of the season at the moment? And, and the only name, it doesn't seem like it's a competition, the only name that will come to mind is Saka. You know, a young player who's just winning his first few caps for England. Um, and tonight, when... You know the the kid that's been out for the you know not far off a year has to be substituted for a seventy two million pound what feels like a downgrade off the bench. It's a peculiar, bizarre situation where you you just can't quite believe that this is this is what Arsenal um, have become. I don't think Arteta is a, a terrible manager. He is starting to look worryingly like slightly out of his depth. But I I agree with the wider point Tim made earlier, like the table could, I'm not saying it will, it could look so different in a month's time. There are enough games to go. There are enough teams who are taking points off each other. No game apart from, you know, Liverpool who are starting to put on, you know, impressive performances each week. No one looks, you know, incredibly strong. Um, There are a lot of games to go. If somehow we can magic something from the, you know, even a point against Chelsea to go and have momentum against a Brighton team down, you know, down at the bottom of the division and then West Brom. I don't know, like even sitting here with seven points in, in 10 days time would feel like in, incredible change of, of scene. It'd feel like a Christmas miracle. Going. <laughs> yeah, it was so, um, but um, I, like I said earlier. I mean, earlier, if you can have a virgin birth, you can have seven points out of nine. <laughs> But Tim, I mean, do you, even in your, I mean, even if, you know, and I accept what what Adam said earlier about our our terrible stats, it's not totally inconceivable we get a point against Chelsea that enough of those players, you know, put in a a big enough performance. I mean, no, what do you think? And then Brighton, I mean, I don't know. Am I I just ludicrous here that, uh, do I need to just get with reality that we are now... Well, what you probably need to get with is even if that happens, there are such fundamental things to address, but where do yeah. you start? I mean, money is at the root of so much of this. Money is the reason that Socrates and Ozil are in the training ground every day. It is ludicrous. Why are two players, for, for better or worse, they are two players that have been deemed not required anymore, not conducive to the first team atmosphere, not going to be picked by Arteta. So... 
Why are they training every day? I'll tell you why they're training every day. If they tell them not to come in, it's breach of contract, and they have to pay them the contract in full, including all bonuses. By letting them come in and train every day, they're in effect only earning the basic salary, not some of the bonuses and top-ups that come with it. It's not a huge amount of money, but that's the sort of thing that's going on at the moment. That's the expert, you know, Mm. that's what's happening a bit more widely. They are snookered in so many positions now. But what would you do, Tim? You'd probably let them in, right? Like, how can we throw even more money? No, 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 no. Well, I mean, I don't, you know, it may literally be that Arsenal can't even afford to pay them off now because cash flow is so tight. Yeah. You know, the only cash flow that arrives at Arsenal at the moment is when the Premier League pay over a TV check in But these situations, Tim, do do lead back to the, you know, is that Mikel Arteta's fault that we've got this overly like large squad of players who some of whom we don't need, that there is this 30 million pound rated well, centre what they massive, from France what, who, who seemingly must be like, I, I don't know, like conference level to well, not be allowed to like go anywhere near our first team. So that leads you back to what you were saying about Edu and possibly some of the sort of, you know, board problems. Yeah, well, they they really struggled even more than other clubs in the in the last transfer window because they were hoping to move two or three more on for little bits of money and also to save the salaries, and they couldn't do that. They managed to screw up Saliba going back out on loan, but that's created discontent, hasn't it? Because that's you know that leads to you know he will be saying and he'll have colleagues say well why aren't you playing and you get in the debate why was Mustafi and so on if he'd been put out on a decent loan people could it would be a different feeling mm. well, he, everywhere you yeah. look there are decisions where they got cornered where they made mistakes where money has kind of where money has driven it all but the problem is in scrambling to catch up and they. They bet the wrong. I mean, they every penny they had, they scraped together to pay for party using the overdraft. Now, he's clearly a very, very good player. But when you actually look at Arsenal's squad, was that where you needed to spend that much money? Particularly when you were using up all your cash flow? But well, every, midfield you know, we did, didn't we? Well, I felt that, that they didn't want to make that signing, I don't think. And then they made it sort of in because it was made Who's right they? at the end with a kind of mixture of panic because Arteta was pressuring them for a signing. And a feeling that they suddenly realised, I think to their surprise, that most of the other clubs, you know, some of the clubs, what they spent this summer astounded everybody, given the financial situation. I also think back in September, and I know a little bit of this from the day job, that there was a, that they were overly optimistic that fans would be coming back a lot sooner than they were. So I think that, yeah. you know, they're going to be 40, 50 yeah. million pounds down this season compared to what they probably expected in September. So there has... It's a sort of real mixture of poor judgment, yeah. bad luck, short-term decision making. But they remember they don't not only sign. I mean, for me, party was was a really good signing in in the area precisely the area where we needed attention because well, we needed creativity, Boyd. Well, we need a player like him as well because you know we're relying on Xhaka and fucking you know. Uh, yeah, but I said well, I I felt that the it, games where me, party if I'd played have taken one, I'd have taken. For the creativity, but, but we tried, yeah, didn't we? We I didn't... learned these names, and also, and sometimes in a way, it is difficult because I will not use hindsight here. But sometimes, when you run a football club, you have to be tough. You know, and I was worried at the size of the contract that Aubameyang was given. But I, I actually know, was. But... I was more worried for in two years' time that we'd have a player on three hundred k a week that was sort of thirty-four years old and 
and, and, and what were we doing? I sort of buy into for morale and where we were, but yeah. they probably had no choice. But here we go again. Here we but go again. But is it the worst? Yeah, I think they made sense from morale. I, I think those those signings or, you know, signings of new, offerings of new contracts, et cetera, made sense. The one that didn't make sense was William giving him that money. You know, I know it's a free transfer, but the fucking weekly wages. I mean, that and that whole situation completely, for me, undermines what Arteta has done with Ozil, for example. Because now you're like, well... They're both ageing, in theory, creative players who could both play number 10. As Adam was point, talking about how much we need a number 10. or something. And Ozil couldn't possibly be worse than Williams been so far. Why buy an old player and give him almost as many, much money a week as Ozil was getting to then ostracise Ozil for whatever reason? It's like, I've completely, now I'm completely, I'd rather see Ozil play there than, than, than fucking William. You know, these, these decisions that Arteta's making, I think, are, are as undermining as the whole, as your talk of the structure and the signings and all of that, because he signed, he wanted to sign um, William. You know, what the fuck was that about, Adam? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you, because I think, look, party Obama Yang, all of these things, individually, you can sort of justify them and say, yes, we took a short-term decision, but, you know, there were extenuating circumstances as to why that might have been a good idea. Fundamental problem, though, is you look back at this three, four years, and every decision Arsenal have taken has been a short-term decision. Every summer they've tried to say we're going to spend to get us back into the Champions League this year rather than trying to build a project for two or three years. And as a fan, it's great. You want to be excited. But the reality is, is that what you need is a sensible business you know, supporting this to go, actually, no, we're not going to give the 28-year-old striker a huge contract or whatever other value was. We're not going to give all these people. We're not going to re-sign these people. We are going to you know, sell people on at the peak of their value. You know, There was a summer where you know, it was difficult to say. Of course, it would have been difficult to sell that Gazette after he was player of the season. Would it have been the right thing to do in a way to reinvest in the team and make it better? Also, yes. And ultimately, you do need to be a bit detached from that. And I think similarly, this is the point with Arteta. As a fan, you love winning cups. It's what you live for, having something to celebrate. And it's great making fun of Tottenham that they've not won anything in literally my entire lifetime, or not any (laughs) sensible choice. But at the same time, if you actually want to judge your club about how they're going, you should judge them on league performances. And, And the reality is, and this is part of why I'm down on Arteta, Back end of last season, the league performances were pretty dire as well. We lost at the Emirates to a pretty poor Aston Villa side who are on the verge of being relegated. Um, and that's not just like one example. That is kind of indicative of where we were. And basically, for a number of years, like the league performances have no, been nowhere near good enough because of the fact that we always take these short-term decisions. We don't really look to bring through young players enough. We do sign these players who are ageing. I mean, William's probably the worst example of it. There's so many, many others that, you know, it's hard to know, you know, where to start with this. It does kind of feel, you know, Tim's original point that until we put a proper governance structure in place, yes, you can have a better manager than Arteta, and I think you know, that is necessary, but we are going to keep on coming back to these issues again and again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, which is, yeah. I, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, that's why I don't want him, don't, definitely don't want him sacked quite, quite yet. I think that there, are, there are bigger problems here, um, and there are just so many decisions. I think we mentioned on previous podcasts, haven't we, Boyd? You, you know, I just cannot think of that many decisions that have just gone wrong at any other football club or, or bizarre scenarios that they've got into or have probably got the transfer window just ending up as 
you know, not as they wanted. I don't know if that's the right way of describing it, but we've spoken about, you know, Tim, Tim alluded to it, you know, Arsenal wanted certain players out, um, you know, Lacazette, you know, was apparently a, a couple of million pounds from going to Juventus and we, we haggled on it. And then, you know, we sold, you know, Martinez to Villa, you know, just decisions that whatever way you look at it are now, you know, coming back to bite us. And uh, yeah, we've, uh, we, we, we've got, um, I don't know. It feels like the two biggest weeks of Arsenal that I can remember. I mean, usually we think about like March and it's like, oh, it's shit. It's the two weeks we go out of everything. Now it's like, fuck, this is the two weeks where either this is like serious. Have we played 19 games and we're still on about 18, 19 points, if that? Or is this actually, you know what, we're we're into the 20s and we're looking for Europe. Yeah. Can I just say before I go to Tim, I think I agree with this. The recruitment has been... um, has been what well, it's been unbelievably random and scattershot and terrible for, for the for the large part. We have signed some really good players within that, right? Within you know, I think party, party Gabriel, you know, um, Tierney, Tierney. I think one, you know, good signing, really good signing. Martinelli was a signing. I think Edu, in fact, was was the one, wasn't he, who who found Martinelli and and, and encouraged the club to sign him. So there are, but it's been nonsensical at the same time. And, and as everyone said, you know, like remember when Liverpool sold Coutinho, right? Like we'd never do that. We'd never have the boldness to do that, would we? Like we, we, we'd be too scared. I don't know if the fans backlash, but they then got a great goalkeeper and the best central defender in the world. And they haven't looked back. We just don't do that kind of thing. And, you know, and that, that is well, We've done but, it once. We've done it once, yeah. Boyd. And it, with all respect to Pepe, hasn't worked. Like, we have splashed out that amount of money Oh, no, once. but what I, I, I meant more was we, we haven't sold... We haven't, we haven't the sold selling, the Lacazette. It's the selling, it's the selling, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, and, and, that's and, rather than the bike spending so much money on... And, on. But and, my question to Tim... I have a quick question, Tim, which is you... Mm. I don't want to... Uh, uh, you you didn't think we were going to sign party, right? You were very, very clear that we yeah. weren't going to make a major sign. You yeah. were surprised. We were all surprised, yeah. right? Yeah. Within our financial situation to spend that kind of yeah. money on that player. Today, I don't know if you saw Arteta today said, he was asked about the, 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 the January window, and he said the plans have all been established and laid out, very much indicating that we're going to make signings. And you said on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, you didn't think we had enough money to make any signings. So they are finding ways, aren't they? Whether, whether it's the overdraft, I mean... Are you are you hundred percent sure that the Cronkies aren't actually kind of almost actually investing their own money into this club? And are you actually hundred percent sure that if Arteta, if they keep Arteta in this job, if he goes to them in January and goes right, I, I, we need to spend 40, 50 million on a creative player, they're not going to go. Okay, we'll give you the money. I, uh, I mean, a hundred percent, Boyd. Can't be hundred percent because I don't see those accounts. I can be ninety five percent plus because. They have spent 10 years telling people that they don't do that. They have spent 30 years not doing that in their American businesses. What may be going on is they are extending credit lines. But remember that if you're extending credit lines, so Arsenal have to pay it back at some point. And that was what went on over the summer. Um, they did two things. They We all know because they actually had to put out a statement. They changed the bond agreements. In effect, refinanced how they borrowed money to pay for the stadium. Um, I'm sure that they did that by increasing Arsenal's debt, but by taking on new debt at a lot lower interest rate, it meant that the annual spend was lower. And then I also am convinced from what I've heard that they, you know, the party decision was very last minute and it was using 
the Barclays overdraft, which no one thought they would ever do, particularly in a pandemic when the overdraft was kind of there for other reasons. Now, can they can they squeeze through a loan deal? Have they got five to ten million to spend on someone that they will make the difference this January? I can see that kind of thing. I don't see a big signing void. You know, maybe I should say it so that you know it happens and everyone can say what's going yeah. on. I really so. don't see the forty million pound signing for you know for the world class player. I think it will be a swap or a loan deal um, or, or, okay. or something in that area. They'll have can to try you get and do... the re- that, Can you get that really good creative play we need from one of those kinds of deals? Because that really is that? You know, I'd be very, very surprised. But at the moment, he's looking for a, create, a creative player that assists five goals in the second half of the season is going to be an improvement. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know, probably, you know, has Christian Eriksen still got his house in North London? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Christian Eriksen rumours won't go away, but that's another. Well, that's going to be another one of those I mean, ageing well, player there, signings. There, there you go. But like, you know, short term, if Christian Eriksen gets you Europa League, then mm. it pays for itself. Well, in the sense that it, you know, it drags you into a, a, another transfer window. I think it's still going to be really, really tough. What these players are not going to leave in January on these huge contracts in the middle of a pandemic. Also, who you know, who wants to move their family across Europe in the middle of this pandemic when the mutant virus is around for a couple more months? I think, you know, I think there will be less departures than, than people might hope for. If they wouldn't go in the, on the 1st of October, why are they going to go on the 1st of January? Yeah, I mean, I agree when they're on that, these yeah. huge When they're on these huge contracts. Yeah. Adam, I just want to... Um... Sorry, go on, Josh. No, I just, just, I know we, we'll get towards the end of the podcast, but I didn't want Tim to be on here. And I know he's so across, you know, what the goings on at the club. And I know um, we spoke to Tim after, um, you know, going to one of these two games at, at the Emirates. Just, just how big a blow is it for like London to be in tier four? And like, you know, because it all was 2000 fans really symbolic and more of a roadmap to getting more fans than the 2000 well, fans. And that money is well, symbolic, right? Letting 2,000 fans in was actually costing Arsenal money. So, you know, it was the right thing to do because they are a football club and they should try and embrace as many of their fans as they can. It's what they're there for. It was also, policy-wise, it was about showing they could do it and being on a journey to 4,000 and then 12,000 and so on. That was why they invested in it. But actually, they... They were losing money. So that in, in that sense, it's not a problem. But what will be terrifying them now is I don't think they'll have another fan in that stadium for at least another 10 weeks, you know, eight to 10 weeks, and then very small crowds to the end of the season. So you are looking at, you're looking at the club making a loss this season of maybe 140, 150 million on top of the 60 million that will come through from last year. I just don't see what else there is to give unless, you know, Stan Kroenke has turned into Father Christmas, like Boyd <laughs> asked me, and he's, he's shoveling money in. But I, I just don't I just don't think so. OK. Adam, the, the obvious question to ask about getting rid of um, Arteta now, and I am going to ask it, is who would you bring in? I mean, I'd go for Hassan Hüttel. Mm. Um, but, I mean... You know, I think there's a few options out there where you know you can, you know, you can say it. I mean, simply if you brought in Nagelsmann, a bit like Emery, if it went bad, you take a lot of pleasure in handing him out the way the man dresses. <laughs> um, so I mean, I think there's like a few options out there, and I'm sure Josh would um, 
be delighted if I suggested bringing back Mr. Wenger for the rest of the season. Um, but I also think I might never be able to show my face in public again. There's one obvious name if you want to stabilise this club and, and have it start to clawing it back, and it's Rafa Benitez. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I would love to see the the great man Arsene back, but I think it is the most unlikely um, of unlikely. He started scenarios. all this. Yeah, of course he did. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I won't even bank, justify that with a, uh, a, re- a reply. Well, I mean, well, where he... He, if he won't go into the stadium, if he hasn't been set foot in the stadium because the guy sacked him two years ago, I don't think he's running back, it, is he? He's not. He's not coming back. Where he's it's not, not necessarily back. all his fault, but he what it was, if you like, the output was his insistence that there was no boardroom. His insistence that he ran everything sowed a lot bigger problems than just the teams he was picking. You know, the governance, you know, his deal, and I know I'm taking you back a long way here now, but his deal was when his mate Dean walked out. But actually, remember, Dean was a fantastic board member who both challenged and supported him with Bismarck. The deal was that Arsene would run the club, but no one would get in his way. And it meant that the boardroom structure decayed and fossilised and got us to where we are now, that we've had, you know, overseas owners, no strong boardroom. That is why... We're up shit creek. There's no governance. There's no structures. And now every nine months, they panic and like, oh, run over here. Oh, run over there. Oh, run over there. Head coach, no manager, experience, no rookie, bit of Pep Guardiola stardust. It's absolutely all over the place, isn't it? He also signed Xhaka and Mustafa, just, just you know, FYI. Um, uh, we have to look at game coming up then. So the game coming up um, against Chelsea, I think we've all, well, I've written it off. Josh, you hadn't apparently. Apparently you think no, we can think scrape we'll, a draw. Yeah, I think we'll get a draw. I, I think we've got we'll more chance a, against a Chelsea than against um, Sam Allardyce's West Brom. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Because Allardyce knows exactly how to play that game. It's like the team that, yeah, the the annoying thing, I'll tell you what's really annoying about tonight is the, that Martinelli injury, because that he's not going to recover from that, is he? Whatever, I know it's not a serious injury. He didn't, you know, he, he walked off and it was okay, but he's not going to recover in time fully, is he, to be fit to start the game against Chelsea, which I think he could have been potentially. If they just taken him six-pointers, Boyd. Oh, okay. But what that means is fucking William's going to be back for a start. Or Bamiang's probably still going to be injured. It could, but, you know, it could be Niketio. I think, I'm sorry, I have to say about Niketio. He's not, I don't think he's, he's got it. I, just, I feel like, you know, he's it wasn't very... good enough for the Leeds first team. I, no. I, mean, I think that's rubbish. Harry Kane went on loan to Leicester and didn't play a single game and he scored how many goals in the Premier League? I don't think that's how we judge players. But do you think, do you see Niketio now being good enough to lead to lead good, out? Good enough for line. a squad. Good enough for this squad, squad. I think yeah. he I mean, Serge yeah. Gnabry couldn't get in the West Brom team, Tim. No, but we've started to accept... Sorry, lads, you're accepting mediocrity. Oh, good enough for the first team. No, not good enough. Liverpool wouldn't think like that. All that Entechia has done is block a place that Balogun could have been playing in. And what's going to happen to Balogun? He's off to Liverpool because he hasn't been given his chance at Arsenal. We've got to start being ruthless. Can't start saying, oh, nearly good enough. Oh, perfectly good, like, backup strike. But Boyd, we don't have better. We don't have better right now. I would love better. No, we have Balogun. Balogun's we, better. We, we, no, Balogun hang on. should play with Nketiah. The, the problem is playing Lacazette. <laughs> I still, well, I think maybe, but I think Balogun's a better bet than Nketiah in every way, in every conceivable way. As a, as a... 
I'm, I'm not being harsh, but I, 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 I've given. I've been. I've only recently come to believe that. I, you know, I think he's had plenty of opportunities, and his misses. Some of his misses. If he's only all, all he is supposed to be really is a box poacher, isn't he? I mean, he's not. He hasn't got the physique to be anything more. He doesn't hold the ball up any better than Lacazette at all. He does not do that. He loses the ball quite a lot. You can't judge a striker of that age when you play in a team which creates so few chances. It's harsh. It's harsh. Striker. Yeah, all right. I'm being harsh, but I still think he's not. He, I don't think. I, I don't think he's showing. He has shown enough in the opportunities he's been given, and I think you know. And I, I think it's a shame, but that's my feeling. Anyway, what I'm saying is, if is the team selection on Saturday at Chelsea could be just really a horrendous team. It could be a really terrible team if all those players aren't fit and the and the and the crap players are back. So anyway, I think we're going to lose that game quite easily, three-one. What do you think, Adam? Uh, I think we'll probably lose. Hard to see us scoring a goal. Do you know Chelsea? Okay. Tim? Yeah, I would go 2 or 3 nil to Chelsea. <laughs> Josh? I think we'll get at least a point. At wow. least a point. One all. One all, uh, think- I'll say. Sooner or later, even a dead cat bounces. So we will piss yeah. well. Sooner or later, we'll win a game, and we'll be like, we'll be yeah. Amazed. We just it just needs we're something going, to go we'll away. Go howl, uh, howl at the moon. Look, we've won a game. We'll be just like <laughs> dumbstruck. The worst. Uh, Giroud will score against us as well, and William won't do fucking anything against Chelsea. Be, that'd be um, another thing if we had Theo and Giroud score against us within a couple of, of weeks. He will. Be, uh, of course, he will. It's actually quite interesting. Does he play William against Chelsea or not? Of course, of course he will. <laughs> Will. <laughs> Honestly, I think he's so invested in William disastrously, which is one of the main reasons why he has to go. Or I'm think I'm, I'm veering towards he has to go. He's so invested in William. I wouldn't be surprised even if Martinelli was fully fit that he picked him ahead of Martinelli because <laughs> he's fucking still, keep, still keeps thinking that William's going to do something anyway. Um, when yes, are we, uh, when are, we, are we going to do a podcast uh, ahead of the, the the Brighton game? Then probably we will. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm quite happy to. On bank holiday yeah. Monday, that is. But yeah, that's fine. Yeah. What else are we going to do? Oh, we <laughs> gonna do exactly. What the Seven. fuck else are we going to do? 7.30 yeah. on Saturday after our one-all draw against Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, thanks very much, Adam, uh, for joining us. Um, even like even with your baldism, your your uh, uh, anti-pet bald comments, it's fine. What's your problem with bald people, by the way? <laughs> It's nothing specifically against bald people. It's just against Pep Guardiola when he happens to be bald. I've got a long-standing agenda against Pep Guardiola. Have you? Oh God! You, I love your agendas. You 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 have some great great um, footballing agendas. That's that's brilliant. You have kind of slightly irrational um, dislikes, possibly rational. Um, and thank you very much to Tim. We'll see if we... you, know, you know, I really hope that you invite me back at the end of January and say, so how did we buy this £60 million player then? Yeah, let's I bloody will. Let's yeah. I've made it happen tonight. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Josh, uh, thank you very much. For... Oh, we should say this is our last... Oh, no, it's not. I was going to say it's our last book of the year, but it's not because we're going to do one on Monday. So, yeah, one more. One more. <laughs> yeah, one more. One more. See you. See you then. And thank you very much. Bye. This is a Playback Media production. To listen to all our football podcasts, visit playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.